Patches of worn dirt adorning both knees, and still beating berries a spill from both pockets. All that which you couldn't hold or eat. How you look being the last thing on your mind, but the first thing on your body. Laughing at the little green costumes that open a summer's play. Wondering who, if anyone, first thought to frame their painting. Are such matters of pride just built into our being? Sea spray the color of an undyed sky, welcome mist. Bare skin. Access to an artist's dream allotment of dyes. Hey everyone, welcome back to Soul Scene. This is the fifth episode in our fashion semester, and today we're going to be talking about some of our favorite sustainable designers, as well as athletic wear that isn't full of evil microplastics. To quote me directly yeah. from last week's episode. I think I might have added in another Yeah, that's what I was trying adjective. to come with. Things like evil demonic crawling <laughs> microplastics or something like that. Yeah. Before we get into it, if you like the podcast, subscribe on YouTube. Yes. We're there. We're trying out a different set today. Our apartment, should I say our studio, it's yeah. not the biggest space, but we're just trying every single permutation of couch and chair and camera to try and figure out what looks nicest and most soloing, let's say. Mm-hmm. And also, you can check out our zines. We make handmade zines. We have one for most of our semesters so far, degrowth, education, nature, and the internet. And that's through the link in the description. And also... Two lip shorts, which you can kind of see behind Alicia right now. We have um, subtly placed in frame. <laughs> <laughs> we'll just have the zines all framed on the wall next week. Yeah, we should do that. So let's start with the designers. Yeah. Because this is the most exciting part of the episode to me. Yeah, to, to me too also. Yeah. Oh, okay, cool, cool. So with designers, I don't often look at other people's designs, mainly because I'm not that on the the magazines i feel like that's where you learn about these things is like if you're following magazines or news outlets or any like fashion blogs and i don't yeah. really do that so looking into these people was so exciting for me so i'll start with one of my all-time favorites that i didn't just like find for this episode just my favorite sustainable fashion designer period and that is christy dawn who i've mentioned on this podcast countless times she was featured in our very first zine Almost two years ago. It's true. So I haven't changed that much, if that's any consolation to the listeners, that I'm a very consistent person. (laughs) So Christy Dawn is a designer and business owner, and she has kind of pioneered a movement of farm-to-closet clothing. And obviously, this isn't some kind of new movement. This is just how things used to be, that it was you would farm your cotton. It takes about a year from seed to garment. Mm -hmm. But she has created this business model where you can just go on the site and buy ready-made clothes as it is, or you can buy a plot of land on her company works with one farm and that's it. Like they get all their cotton from this one farm and they don't just take the cotton and then export it to be manufactured. It's also spun, milled, dyed, and printed all on this farm. Okay. So she just invested in this one area But then this one area is super economically prosperous because of her commitment to paying living wages and so on. That's the way to go. It reminds me of like um, Greek drama. Mm. In ancient Greek, the plays, you know, one of the one of the defining principles that makes a a good play or a good story is unity of place. Meaning it doesn't make sense if we're doing one scene here, one scene across the world, one scene, you know, in the basement, one scene even in the attic. Let's just do it all in the basement. Yeah. 
I feel like that's what Christy Dawn does. Yeah. She does it all in the basement. <laughs> it's true. And I don't just like her business practices because that's not what this is about. It's about design. But her designs are also really unique in the modern context. They're quite classical in like they're very feminine, beautiful prints, a lot of fabric going on. And I just love every single piece she's ever released. I went through her website and I was like, maybe there's some hidden collection that I don't like, some but it's, it's not true. No duds. Yeah, they're all just... Buds. Buds. You're so great at wordplay, Aaron. So yeah, I would definitely recommend checking her out. I've never bought anything from her because it is quite expensive, but understandably so, because it takes like $200 to make the cotton and all that stuff, Right. let alone the designing, shipping, and all the other stuff that goes into making a piece of clothing. Yeah, something that I wanted to kind of underline in this conversation or preface it with maybe is that this relationship that regular people's clothes have to more avant-garde or like high-end designers. Because mm. I think the the first instinct always is to say, there's no relationship. It oh, doesn't no, matter what I do. Is. You know, I'm just going to wear a t-shirt and jeans and it doesn't matter what Prado and Gucci and Christie, if she's <laughs> in, in with them, I don't know if what they do. But what do you think is the relationship? What's the relevancy to, to the solo scene is what I'm saying? Oh, like, I think Why are we doing this? Good question. There's a direct relationship, even just on the day-to-day, like in the in the now, the the Anthropocene, whatever yeah. we're in. And because the things we wear are just directly influenced by the runway. I've heard a lot of stories by journalists, designers, so on, who say, okay, I'm at this Prada show or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then you know within a week or two at the next fabric show, because when people are designers, they go to these fabric fairs where they buy all their fabric. There just will be a knockoff of the fabric that was used in the product one. Yeah. And in the solo scene, I think it's going to be even more pronounced and even more common that well, people... let me stop you there. Because okay. I have three solo scene designers. I just wanted to kind of introduce it a little bit. Okay. So, my first solo scene designer, I kind of... Solo scene meaning I invented them. Okay. I didn't tell you that. Okay. Yeah, you thought that I just kind of scoured the the fashion blogs like you. No, no, no. I invented three. Um, well, I invented two and I used one that ex- exists. So I kind of split them into the three facets of the artist, as far mm-hmm. as I can tell, because fashion is an art, right? Like making clothes, that's a, it's an artistic craft. And it is the doer, the feeler, and the storyteller. Okay, cool. Yeah, those are just like the three archetypes of making that I have personally experienced and what I've kind of mm. observed. So I'll start with the doer. Okay. His name is Rasmus. <laughs> and his line, I think, will just also be called Rasmus. Okay. Because it's like if you have a cool name, you gotta you're going to use that. Yeah. Unfortunately, you couldn't call yours Alicia. but <laughs> So what I meant by the doer is what I have written down, the exercise of will towards hard tasks. And this means, obviously, in a creative context, like sweat, endeavor. Getting your hands dirty. Getting your hands dirty, feeling like you are forging these clothes out of the earth's raw materials. And like it's something that almost, almost goes against mm. physics. Okay. Because when you think about it, it's like you look at a t-shirt and it just looks like a thing. You know, like I always think in How the Grinch Stole Christmas when he makes his Santa costume, right? And he just cuts it out of the red curtain yeah. in, in the shape of it. 
And I was always like, that's not how it works. <laughs> really, it's 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 put together s- stitch by stitch in this like it's quite a feat. It reminds me of of language, you know, where it's like, how did humans develop such sophisticated communication techniques over millennia? But it's such a crazy thing that it happened when you think about it. And it's the same with just a, a cotton t-shirt. So anyway, Rasmus. Um, garments cut from the fabric of being. That's kind of the, the slogan mm-hmm. for his line. And I wrote a little narrative, small scene for each designer. Okay. So his says, A lone figure punctuates the jet black void of space, waiting. In his mind flit calculations of orbital beauty, the countless garments of people below, which he imagines to see, matte paint drops in their bright cities. The tether to his whirring rocket tightens. It's Clanko, loyal handmaid robo-companion, telling him it's time. Our hero braces. He extends a large net and faces space south, where out of the dark, growing, growing, they begin to zip. Iridescent stones hurled from Luna B7 field. He catches them like minnows in a stream. Yes, these will make fine boots. Wow. Right. That what was something th- else. What do you think about that? I don't know why I'm feeling very like pulpy and comic-y this week. It is very pulpy sci-fi. Yeah. But I don't hate it. No. Because I think when it comes to clothing and art in general, we need to be a bit more outside of the box. That's what I'm trying to capture, right? Yeah. You shift the window a little bit. Mm. But what I learned last week anyway, doing the episode on fabrics, I didn't mention it on the episode, I think we just ran out of time or something, is that there is someone making fabrics out of moon rocks. What? It's a thing. That's so cool. So I didn't pluck this out of nowhere. Mm. It's something about the basalt, they can they can process it down to like a usable fiber. That's so cool. So Rasmus's signature item that I ideated was the moon boots. I love that. But wow. The actual moon moon rock boots. Because mm. I always I always heard that term when I was a kid, like moon boots, moon boots, moon boots. And I just always had such a fascinating idea in my head, like, oh, are they anti-gravity? Like can you hop mm. really do they look like white rock? It's like, no, they look kind of lame actually when you when you learn about them. Very polyester. Yeah. Yeah. But that's Rasmus. Cool. The doer. Nice to meet you, Rasmus. Rasmus the doer. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Sounds like a Dungeons and Dragons character. It's true. I'll try and match my other three to yours a little sure. bit. Okay. So my most doer is Jesse Lee, aka the R Collective, is their line. And the reason I picked this designer is because they use everyday objects like umbrellas and curtains and a bunch of upcycled materials like that. And when you hear that, you picture someone wearing an umbrella. You picture someone wearing something a bit more avant-garde. But they actually just make clothes that look super practical. They look beautiful, and I love the designs. They're a bit different than what you'd see every day, but they're super practical, and they seem like they're for doers. Because a lot of other sustainable upcyclers, who I'll talk about also next, they look like you're wearing something upcycled. Yeah. They retain the, the characteristics exactly of the original garment. And Jesse Lee and the Art Collective, they also they have these pieces where you can tell it was a shirt, like it was an upcycled button-up shirt. But they also take high-quality fabrics and break them back down and weave their own materials. So some of the pieces are 
woven material out of upcycled stuff. Okay, I got it. So they have two different types. But I think the Solacine principles that Jesse Lee and the Art Collective represent are practicality, beauty and design, and form and function being equal. I think in the Solacine, it's not one over the other. Yeah, it's umbrella theory. It often is. Yeah. Literally umbrella theory. Taking it, it is. To a whole new, <laughs> to a whole new level. This is a big thing on TikTok, right? Like people buying shirts and making scarves out of them. Yeah. Stuff like that. Or shower curtains. Mm. So I guess that's kind of a good thing. Yeah, it's a big thing in Solacine where... Probably fifty percent of our pieces are out of drapes. <laughs> Buy the best. <laughs> so my next one, the designer's name is Lydia. Lydia, that's a nice name. But the name of the brand is Hip Hipaype. Hipaype. I read this from Ovid, so you know, excuse okay. the, the pronunciation. So that was a place in one of Ovid's metamorphosis stories where Arachne was located. And obviously, there's no arachnids in the solar scene. They're, no. They've been exterminated. But <laughs> do you want to know the, what the story of Arachne is? Tell me. So she was a seamstress, ah. right? And she was challenged by the goddess. Pallas came down in disguise and was like, bet you can't beat me. And as is often the case in myth, in Ovid's myths, uh, Arachne said, I bet I can. And long story short, she got turned into a spider for a hubris, kind mm-hmm. of like Phython. Remember Phython in the chariot where I it was do. like, oh, I can drive the chariot. And his dad was like, no, you can't. So it's like fabric Phython. Mm. Tongue twister right there. But anyway, so Lydia, she is the feeler. That's kind of what I described it as. And it's that side of arts or creativity that's all intuition. Mm. It's not thinking. It's just like just using using touch kind of. Yeah. Feeling your way through the the tapestry of fabrics and dyes and colors and textures and shapes and all that kind of stuff. And like the example for me, because I'm a, a wannabe writer, is automatic writing, mm. which is when you just turn your brain off and you just write like crazy, whatever pops into your, even if it's grammatically incoherent, sometimes you can do it with your eyes closed, all that kind of stuff. And the idea that I was kind of playing with is that said feeling always leans towards sustainability and that it's mm. maybe when our head gets in the way that we tend to start um, drilling for oils that we can use for polyester it's true so it's it's kind of like this sentiment maybe it's a little bit touchy-feely that humans have a kind of innate harmony with all of existence and so when we're just feeling our way through the arts we uh we demonstrate that harmony but that's really great it's just an idea yeah i've always been jealous of people who have that instinct in different arts obviously some people have it for drawing writing yeah fashion it's like they were born to do this. And I don't right. fully believe that like people aren't born to do certain things. Yeah, I think it's more that we, we're programmed to not be like that. Yeah, you know what I mean? exactly. Um, so people who can remain in touch with kind of their childhood hobbies, interests, or just skills that we're kind of, yeah, have from a young age. That's really cool. I like the idea that there's a sect of the solo scene fashion designers who just kind of like, it's like in those dystopian novels where it's like you're born and then you like go into a diff- different fashion, yeah. not like the divergent ones, but just kind of like you're born. Oh, you've been gifted with knowledge. You've yes. been gifted with this. I like the, how cool um, it is. So my image for her was kind of like the, the farmy wizard from Lord of the Rings, Radagast the Brown. Mm-hmm. Remember he's always kind of his hairs all over the place, running around tracking, like <laughs> has the mannerisms of like an animal. Yes. So what I wrote was, 
And I wrote these all quite early in the morning, so that's why they're a bit wacky. A group of children approach tentatively the feather house, from wherein can be heard all spectrums of avian screeches, and one singing human. The bravest youth, the one who holds their capture, rings a knitted bell that sounds like a flutter of wings. It's soft, but all the birds quieten, and a woman answers the door. Her dress, hair, plumage, is wild. The gleaming white feather is presented. She smiles, inspects it, and places a single silver coin in the child's hand, then hops back to work. <laughs> That's so cute. So she's kind of known for like feathers. So I call mm-hmm. it like the feather house. And it's this kind of this kind of uh, Dickensian idea of all the street kids. <laughs> the solo scene won't have all these like street urchin kids, but let's just pretend. So instead of sweeping chimneys, they go and gather really pretty feathers that they find, mm-hmm. bring them to her, and she'll inspect them and give them money. And the kind of signature item that I had for Lydia was the feather jacket. Because okay. it's kind of a play on the fact that down is often used to stuff jackets, right? Mm-hmm. But this is made of feathers. Visible, yeah. That's funny. I feel like kids will also be so into that. It's like, you know, when you're a kid and you get to collect bottles and you get yes. like five cents? Yes. It's kind of like that. Because they would just be like around and see a feather on the ground and be like, yes, hit the jackpot <laughs> yeah. and they get like eight cents for it. Yeah, eight cents. Yeah. But that's really fun. I like Lydia. I can definitely see there being elements of her in the solo scene. My closest person to Lydia is a brand called Ursa Fibers and the girl who runs this to me represents similarly the handcraft intuition yeah intuition that is pretty much lost I was searching the internet for companies that hand sew items to sell yeah but they're essentially non-existent oh you mean not using a sewing machine yeah and and this girl, she she does use a sewing machine, okay. but she quilts everything. So quilting is kind of, it's using different shapes to make, instead of just like square pieces of fabric, she uses circles and triangles and it. stuff. Okay. And her pieces are super slow, which is another Solacene principle, slow fashion. Yeah, I was just going to say earlier when you mentioned the runway, Yeah. maybe in the Solacene it can be called the walkway. I like that. Something like that. Because why is it called run? Like, they don't run, they walk anyway. It's true. A strutway. Yeah. <laughs> um, so this is another designer who I just kind of knew I didn't have to search out because I've been following her for a while. She's also very inspiring to me because she began her journey eight years ago in almost the exact same situation as we're in. She was like, yeah, I was cutting the fabric on the floor of my like one room apartment and so on. And I feel very heartened whenever I hear other stories like that, because often in the fashion industry, it's kind of like if you don't go to fashion school if you don't have the ends, then like you're kind of out of luck. But mm-hmm. there's a lot of people that took another route. But on the header of her website, it says it takes me two months to make these. So like, if you buy it, you're going to wait two months. And I just think that's so cool because a lot of people want her items and are willing to wait two months. But there's very little in life that we're willing to wait that long for. And in the solo scene, we'll kind of have reprogrammed ourselves to be a bit more patient. Yeah, it's also very kind of... The customer isn't always right. Yeah. Because I think that's actually, we'll get that's for another episode, but that's actually quite a damaging ethos to like interpersonal relationships and also the economy in the very long run, probably. Yeah, I think so. And it's, yeah, like if she wanted to, she probably could make them quicker, but they wouldn't be as durable and long lasting, but she doesn't want that. She wants her pieces when someone buys it to last them a lifetime. I think that's really great. Yeah. So the final one I chose, her name is Alicia. Oh, okay. 
you're going to get so kind of egotistical about this. And the brand is so seen. This is such a pug, actually, now that I think about it. And she's the storyteller. And what this means is clothes that reflect a vision of the ideal world. Because we've been talking this week, and basically our goal for Solacene, the whole project, is that all the the podcast, the clothes, the zines, everything just seems like it was beamed from a utopian future. Which I know sounds like a really arrogant thing, but it's a it's an ambitious goal, let's put it like that. So it's, it's an ambitious thing. Maybe next week we can talk more in depth about how clothes tell stories. Yeah. How there's narrative entwined in them. But the only reason I chose you for this is because that's kind of like the solo scene as itself is just a story that we're trying to weave sometimes with words, sometimes with fabric. Me word, you fabric. <laughs> kind of like that. And I didn't write a scene for this. I thought we could improvise one. Ooh, <laughs> a very short one. Okay. It would be something like... Just like a, a, a day in your life or a morning in your life when yeah. you're 25 years from now. Yeah. So perhaps I wake up and I and then I'm out for my morning walk and someone stops me and tells me a story about their their weekend. Okay. And they tell me, "Oh, I went on this really great hiking trip and we fell into the river." Ooh. And then I'm inspired by their story and I go home and perhaps draw something. Yeah. And maybe it's a bit practical of like this is for the person who falls in the river mm-hmm. and like it's inflatable or <laughs> <laughs> or it just you know, the, the name of the drop could be drop, could be plummet. Yeah. And it could be clothes that try and embody and tell the story that that person told you mm-hmm. of having tumbled. Yeah. Tumbled. Fallen into a river. Splash, it could also be called. Yeah. Something like that. I like clothes that, that do that kind of thing. I agree. Anyway, so that's a, I guess that's a kind of cool scene. It's not as good as Rasmus in space, but. Well, no, I'm not the writer. What is? Um. Rasmus in space. People start like clamoring for more about. Yeah, them. we w- we want to hear about Clunko. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know why. Like my, so many of my visions of the solo scene come down to funny, small, handmade companions. Yeah. Because obviously we had Ikoniko. Now we've got Clunko to join the collection. Well. Tune in next week to see who else is going to join the team. But so some other notes I had about just the solo scene clothing line. As far as I understand it, in the future, like the the ambitions and then maybe you can correct me emphasizes empowering customers mm-hmm. slash fans because you know for high fashion it's often like i'm a fan of louis vuitton or whatever and what i wrote down is this is kind of like the next step after people sit in at the runway at the show or watch it online because that's a lot of people do that they're excited it's like i'm going to stream that yeezy season nine and see what's being shown the next step is like we'll show you the patterns exactly empowering them even more inspiring them even more um and also it gets people moving and i also think it it challenges another notion actually that i think is quite a damaging thing certainly to the creative economy is ideas are cheap you hear that all Mm -hmm. the time in writing and i'm sure in fashion also it's like well ideas are cheap where's the execution which is for sure like execution is important but i don't think like in my experience from what i've seen ideas actually aren't cheap yeah any halfway decent ideas are very rare. That's true. Everyone's got ideas, but they're not usually very good ones. Mm-hmm. And a good idea is somewhere in between the fantastical and the practical. Because I think probably a lot of ideas are either hyper-practical or they're hyper-fantastical. Conquer. Yeah. So somewhere somewhere in between. 
Yeah. And you're super right. That was always my goal with the Soul Scene clothing line is to sell patterns and to sell, yeah, the like lessons, stuff like right. that. Well, it reminds me, like, this is really out there, but something I saw this week was I, I stumbled across this YouTube channel of a therapist, right? Just like a licensed therapist. Yeah. Who, with the, um, with the patient's consent, films all the conversations mm. and puts them on YouTube. Whoa, that's interesting. Why is it interesting? Because usually people would charge for that, right? Yeah. Like they gate their knowledge so much. And I just think slowly but surely the internet is just revealing everything to anybody who wants it. Mm-hmm. Like I've, something else that interests me is like magicians. Yeah. It's like they can't be around for much longer. No. <laughs> like their, their days are numbered. And I don't, I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing, but it's a thing that's happening where every secret of an industry of a craft is just gradually being exposed. Mm-hmm. I think they might have a bit of a guild though, where they're like, anyone who tries to do that will get silenced. <laughs> I feel like that might happen though. But, um, or maybe it's already up there on YouTube. Who knows? But this is about the sharing of information probably ultimately being a good thing, if not a very capitalistic thing. Because mm-hmm. if you're thinking from a purely profit minded perspective about this therapist, it's like, well, why would you do that? You mm-hmm. know, because you're making people probably say, I don't need to go to therapy, I can get it for free on YouTube. But anyway, that's another thing. Something else I thought about solo scene fashion and storytelling is this interesting mingling of fashion and narrative and other worlds and fiction. Whereas what I kind of envisioned it as is what if Disney was selling like well-crafted princess dresses? Mm. Not, I'm not talking about like Halloween costumes like it's in or the mass-produced stuff. Like, what if they were really, here's Elsa's dress, or here's the pattern for it in detail. I know you can probably find it, but it's not like an official thing. If it was Disney Disney certified. So that's kind of a a solo scene prospect also. And then finally, I just had the idea of thinking in materials. And what I wrote was, we already live in them. So we might as well be cognizant of them. Mm. And that's kind of narrative to me. And then the signature piece, what is it, the tulip shorts or... Is that just the one that has the best name? I think you just like that one the, yeah, the like most. The probably my least favorite of the three. Okay. I like the gilet. The gilet. Yeah. That'll be the Soacene moon boots, mm-hmm. moon rock boots. My final designer is Ganit Goldstein, and he combines 3D printing with handicrafts. And I think this is a really great Soacene principle. It kind of reflects back to Rasmus of combining <laughs> the, the traditional crafts of handmaking with the clunk the the robotic side and all of his pieces are empowering craftspeople but also yeah like using 3d printing to make them interesting yeah and this is the one that i'm going to probably recommend you google my favorite collection of his is from 2018 and it's called between the layers and it's there's this technique in clothing making where you take shredded fibers and then you reconstitute them but not in a way of like making thread and then weaving a new fabric kind of sounds like making handmade paper exactly so you can still kind of see the different colors and textures and it's not completely flat and he does that quite often but in a way that doesn't look like you're wearing rags because like probably nine out of ten of the sustainable fashion designers it's like i can just tell that you just like tore a shirt in half and then recombined it backwards yeah or i made a pair of jeans out of 20 pairs of jeans exactly but this is like it's making something new like that's genuinely cool and unique 
but not looking like you're wearing tatters because I don't think that's cool. It's like we shouldn't be striving to look like we're wearing eco. Yeah. Like we're wearing regs. I think it's good to make it look like it's something you're proud of. Yeah, if anything, it's good that sustainability, sustainable fashion would have more than one look. It's true. Because often, you know, variety is good. Yeah. Put it like that. Yeah, we can also talk next week. I've been wanting to talk with us, like, why minimalism and sustainable fashion are so closely linked. Yeah. And how we can maybe decouple that in the solo scene. What was that guy's name? Ganit Goldstein. I like that you mentioned him and the the 3D printing and that I mentioned Conco because I think so often the solo scene people be like, oh, it's Ludites. Yeah. But actually, I get incredibly excited about technological innovation so mm-hmm. long as it captures the imagination and, as you said, empowers people more. I think that's what that's what that's the direction that science should go towards. R and D should go towards. So often, it's about we'll take the agency out of the person's hands. Yeah, I'm reading a Wind Up Bird Chronicle right now, and this isn't a spoiler. It's just like a kind of random scene. But one of the characters goes to work at a wig factory. And she's saying, yeah, it would be easy enough to automate this. And a lot of factories that she'd heard of, she like referenced Charlie Chaplin. She was like in the Charlie Chaplin films. It's like you're just putting one bolt on. But she yeah, was saying times. she was super proud of the wigs she's making because she got to see from start to finish the little hair she was putting in and then have the finished product. And it's like she had no interest in making wigs. She's like a 16 year old girl. But she's like, I could do this for a while, like not for my whole life, but it's, I feel like signing them. Like it feels like something I've yeah. made. And it doesn't have to be something grueling that you sew until your hands bleed. Like that's exactly. why I'm saying we're not Ludites because I mean, we have a podcast. I think this is a really cool craft because mm-hmm. it empowers the person. Yeah. It's like that. Anyway, garment of the week. Do you want to guess what it is? You've already seen it. Oh, okay. These weren't just on my lap for no reason. It's the, we don't have a name for these. Describe them. The blue shorts. Sure. That Aaron has had since probably the ripe age of 10. <laughs> like, that he's had them as long as I've known him and way before that. He used to have multiple pairs. Anyway, they're a pair of blue, what's that brand called? Umbro. Umbro shorts. Yeah. Aaron is a an infamous world-renowned soccer player. And so it's kind of soccer shorts. Yeah, Umbro is a very UK heritage brand, actually. Yeah. You and don't see a lot of Umbro these days. It's true. And over the years, they faded... But then at one point, you bleached them, correct? correct? Yeah. So they're bleached to a purple color, but they used to be a royal blue. You described it pretty well. Fun fact, actually, I, I just remembered this. I think when I was seven or eight, I was lobbying my parents to let me propose to Umbro. Oh. Uh, to, to let me pitch, rather, a Father's Day and Mother's Day themed collab. That would be called Mumbro, like okay. Mums and Daddy Des. <laughs> yeah. That's awful, isn't it? That's so bad. But yeah. I mean, for seven, eight-year-old, it's cutting edge. It, well, I was so excited about it. Yeah. And the thing is that I remember we were in the car. <laughs> they played along for a while. They were like, oh, that's cool. And I kept saying, oh, it's good, is it? Yeah. Let me, <laughs> like, let me make a phone call or something. I don't know what I, what I wanted. <laughs> I think I just, I viewed the world through the lens of Dragon's Den. Mm. That it was just... People just waited in offices for, like, that's what offices are, right? Yeah. Just people sitting around a table waiting for people to come in and pitch to them. Mm -hmm. But anyway, these shorts, 
yeah, I've had these for a very long time. I got them from some football team that I was on. They were once royal blue. Now they've been bleached to a shade that I actually really prefer. I think they look very bad. Mm. They look very ugly. But this is kind of the lead into the next part of the episode about athletic clothes. Because these I will run in through anything. I run through quicksand with these. Yeah. Run through mud. And it's almost the opposite of that normal consumeristic effect where you buy like brand new Nikes and you're like, oh, I'll run in these. I can run through a brick wall in these. Mm -hmm. I feel that I can run through a brick wall in these because of how run down and, and old they are. And also it's something else. I like how kind of personal they feel to me. Yeah. Like they kind of, clothes kind of reflect you in a while when you've had them long enough. Mm. They take your shape, they take your colors, they, you know what I mean? Like they, you bleach them, you cut out the mesh inside thing like I did with these. There's this random thread that's just been hang, oh. It's come off now. (laughs) I just pulled (laughs) off a a random thread. But also it's the idea of upgrades. Remember I said I like Mm -hmm. the premise of upgrading your clothes and that can look like different things. But here it looks just like really maximizing one's affinity for them and then the final points these fit me very well i feel incredibly comfortable in them Mm. and i think just as in narrative people say story is everything story is everything in a screenplay in a novel in clothes i would purport that fit is everything yeah i think so and that's why online shopping kind of drags yeah i start saying that people should let us know in the comments if they have any clothes like this because as you're telling me about these I also have a few pieces that it's like they're ugly. Like there's the pants that you know, they're like plaid. And it's like, I don't wear plaid. Yeah. But there's this one pair of pants that I have that fit me perfectly. I've had them for so long Mm -hmm. and they just kind of are like my comfortable pants. And I wonder if anyone else has anything like that. What I have also written down about these is toxic. Oh yeah, definitely. Because obviously they're polyester, bleach may or may not be carcinogen. We don't want to get into that on this episode, but they feel very flaky. They yeah. feel like as I wear them, pieces just go into my bloodstream. Well, I mean, a piece just fell off. It did just fall off. Uh, but that's part of the charm. Mm, I like that. So getting into athletic clothes that aren't full of evil microplastics. Mm-hmm. I'll tuck that one away. <laughs> I, I just made a timeline. I didn't think too heavily about this question. I made a timeline starting in ancient Greece in the gymnasiums where people wore really, I think, the most interesting types of athletic clothes. Okay. Nothing. Yes. They were exercising in the nude. They were all male gyms. And I was kind of, I know we did an episode about the gymnasium, the Solocene gymnasium before, and we talked a bit about the nudity. But I was interested this week in why they actually did it. Mm. Because I feel like I've always just had this vague idea of it honors the gods. I see. But there's actually some kind of scholarly uncertainty about the exact reasons because it wasn't always the case people think like even Mm. in ancient greece it wasn't always the case like in the stories of let's say in the iliad when they do the the games right the funeral games yeah it's like they weren't all naked there it's true and one of the theories is it's kind of from a militaristic point of view in the same way that people see people people see soldiers wearing the camo today and they're like oh he fights for us yeah when they would see people going to the gym uh, with their specific set of things, some oil, some thing to a sponge usually mm. to scrape themselves off afterwards. Um, and they'd, like the nudity was kind of like 
that's the uniform of our soldiers. These mm. are the military that protects our city. Yeah. So that's one thing. Gymnasium, the term, came from a word meaning without armor. Mm. So it's kind of in- inherent to the the place of it. Yeah. But then something else I saw is just that, so they oiled themselves before exercising, right? For reasons about sweat in pores and sun and all that kind of stuff. And even without the oil, they were sweating a lot because mm-hmm. it's Greece. It's a warm place. And there was a scholar who was like, they didn't have many clothes. That's like, true. The, the, like the, le- the average level of poverty was something almost inconceivable to us today. Mm. So why would they want to ruin them in the gym? Like it could just be that practical purpose of it as well. That makes sense. So that was something. So that was kind of the start. And then the other two points on the timeline I had were polyester. Yeah. Which was developed in the 30s and 40s and introduced to the American public in 1961 is what I wrote down. And the tagline or like the the selling point was that these fabrics could be worn for 68 days without ironing or other care and Mm. still look fresh. Yeah. And it's like, I can just imagine how exciting that would be, but also how much of a, again, going back to myths, like how much of a kind of Promethean uh, promise that kind of is. Yeah. Well, it's kind of true. I was looking into polyester because we often talk about amongst ourselves sweat wicking. What does that mean? Yeah. And I was like, there's no way that like it's a real thing or if it is that it's actually that meaningful. Yeah. But based on my research, it seems like it is actually a thing and polyester is in fact the best at it. But what does wicking mean? So, you know, a candle. Yes. It's the wick. Right. So it basically sucks up the liquid wax and then it burns. Okay. So it, because the polyester isn't fibrous, it's just solid. There's Mm. no like inside. The way that there are hairs like mohair or any natural fiber has an inside. This doesn't. So it just travels along the outside. It goes to the place where it's least saturated and then it would evaporate. I don't doubt that like regarding sweat, polyester clothes are ultimately better than your average cotton. Mm -hmm. But my point has always been kind of the average Joe who's wearing polyester clothes is not in the Olympics. It's true. So it doesn't actually matter. Yeah, I agree. Because I've run like 5Ks, 10Ks, whatever, you know, cardio, um, even cycling. And I see doing like a very long distance. I don't think it makes a big difference. And I'm a sweaty person. You are. But anyway, my next point was uh, Nike. Okay. The company, which was named in 1971. It used to be called something else, but the Nike name came in 1971. And I thought this was just like a nice full circle moment because the name comes from the Greek goddess of victory. Mm-hmm. And just do it. Do you like that as a slogan? Yeah. There have been like times that? in my life where it's genuinely got me through some things. Really? Yeah. I remember like at one point, <laughs> it was like in a movie. I was like trying, I don't remember what it was I was trying to do. And I looked over and saw it on someone's shirt and I was like, just <laughs> do it. And it wasn't anything athletic. It was just like yeah, something. That's kind of corny. I'm not going to lie. Yeah. When do you think that slogan was coined? 91. 88. So pretty close. Thank you. I had some quotes about Nike. I wanted to find something about the consumerism of it. Mm-hmm. But instead, I found this much more interesting article. The website was called something like empoweryourself.com. Okay. And it was quotes by Nike. And it prefaced the article by saying, these Nike quotes, or Nike, can help you tap into your inner beast, help you navigate nearly any challenge you are facing with determination, 
remind you that this is your life and you're in control of your actions. And you actually just gave a great example of it where I think it's a sad state where people look to Nike for that. It's true. And that's one of my points I had about the, the state of athletic clothes today is that they are the type of clothes most boosted by people's kind of insecurity manifesting through consumerism mm, where it's okay. like if i want to feel athletic i'm not going to go for a run i'll just buy a nike running shirt or something like that yeah absolutely and we didn't talk about it too much like athleisure in the pandemic but that's definitely linked i was laying in bed last night thinking about it was like having flashbacks of like there were a few times during the pandemic that i wore jogging pants out in public yeah, and that's just like so far from who I am. I've never worn jogging pants in public. I'm like, wow, it really impacted our our desire to dress for what we're doing. And also, yeah, I think the gym industry is so shocking to me. Yeah, it's because crazy. It was like I always would just wear what I had sort of thing. But then when we went to university and started going to an actual gym, it was like all of a sudden I wanted matching Gymshark yeah. outfits. and then I got them and it's like, these are so uncomfortable compared to the shorts that you've had for 10 years and they just fit you perfectly. So it's like, but we don't actually think about that because it kind of looks good or it looks like what everyone else is wearing. So you think it will make you more strong. You got to read these two quotes to motivate the, the listener. Okay. The two at the bottom. Greatness is not born. It is made. Don't believe you have to be like anybody to be somebody. Those wow. are from Nike. Wow. And I just really love the irony of it because it's like, greatness is not born, it's made. And there's this implicit, and here's how you make it. Yeah. Buy these things. And also, don't believe you have to be like anybody to be somebody. It's like, but all your marketing is just using well-known athletes and celebrities mm -hmm. to make people think, if I wear those, you know, if I have those shoes, I can be like Mike. Like, that was almost one of their slogans. So yeah. it's, it's, such a, it's such an irony. Like, I remember when I was a kid... And it still is kind of part of my programming today that you have to consciously work out of. Because as I mentioned, I was big, big into football. I still watch a lot of football, like always following the, the players and the teams. There was definitely a massive part where it was like, he wears Nike. They're mm -hmm. sponsored by Puma. They're sponsored by Adidas. But it's like... It's just, all the same. It's all, it's all the same thing for one. And also... Like he's not messy because of his shoes, but that's what obviously they are yeah. putting millions of dollars every year into convincing you. So true. Yeah, it's hard to unwork that programming for sure. Even the other day I saw a commercial for Merrill, is that the name of that? The like trail running shoes? Yeah, yeah. And it's like, we're not like other shoes, like running so boring, but when you trail run, it's exciting. And it made me be like, yeah. It's the same, I mean, <laughs> now I don't really feel it with the athletic clothes because like I say, I kind of see through that. Yeah. But now I'm probably a bit more filtered into the outdoorsy stuff. Yeah. It's like, if I want to go camping, I have to wear Arcteryx or Patagonia or something like that. Mm -hmm. It's like, but I'm not climbing Mount Everest. I don't really need technical gear that much. Yeah. So people, because that's also the thing, they'll show pictures of people climbing legit mountains where maybe they do need mm -hmm. high-end like outdoor gear. Yeah. But it's like, most people are just going camping for the weekend to cook some marshmallows. It's yeah. like you don't need sweat wicking anything for that. It's true. It's also remarkable to me how these the clothing industry has basically, it's at the top of all industries. 
But he's like, really, if you're going camping, what you should be putting money into it was like a sleeping bag, a tent. <laughs> yeah. Not like Patagonia sweaters. Yeah. And it's the same with anything. It's but like also it's it's the way you color code where it's like, oh, I have to wear some flannel. Yeah. It's autumn now. Exactly. But it's like maybe put the money into or the time or effort or whatever into the actual objects that you need to do the things. Mm. And then you'll be more likely to do them. Instead of dressing like an artist, maybe just buy some nice paints. So what are some conclusions we have anyway about Solocene athletic clothes? Um, in a Solocene, it will all be made out of alpaca. That's all I alpaca gathered wool? from the internet. Yeah, because alpaca is pretty much the closest to polyester in terms of like its performance. Mm. And I do think like it's fine if you want to have like specific gym clothes. As you said with the, the Athenians, it's like they... It's a uniform. Yeah, it's a uniform. But I just thought it was a really interesting contradiction where gymnasium stemming from without armor. Yeah. And now most people, when you go, it's like, Mm. well, I need my armor. Exactly. So yeah, in the soul scene, I'll be alpaca, but we'll be less obsessed with it. Also, one other tip is that cotton is, in fact, the worst thing to wear when you're exercising, which I didn't know. Yeah, but people say that. (laughs) That's why I'm saying it. I don't think it's really the case. Yeah. It's like, it's the worst, but is, is it actually bad? I don't think it is. Yeah. So in the soul scene, maybe we'll just wear your old, your old shorts. Or in the nude. T-shirt. Or in the nude. Well, I think, like, let's say shirtlessness, shoelessness. You know, most shoes are, it's like barefoot running, shirt, feels like nothing. Yeah. Maybe just wear nothing. Yeah. But I guess that's about co-ed gyms and, you know, that's for another... Yeah, we'll get into the gender politics and <laughs> yeah. our stance on nudity. That's for our gender politics semester. Yeah. So thank you all for listening. We hope to see you next week. If you haven't already, please like this video, subscribe to it on YouTube. It really, really helps. Or share it with a friend. Say, hey, look at this. Okay, okay. That's so <laughs> shameless. Bye, everyone. <laughs>